I would like to reiterate some of the things that David was saying just a second ago, and people need the Lord, and, and how important it is we remember that message. Starting next week, we will start a sermon series in conjunction with an emphasis throughout the Southern Baptist Convention, an evangelism initiative that's been launched by the North American Mission Board called Who's Your One? And over the course of the month of October, we're going to be talking about how God has equipped each and every one of us to reach one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next four weeks and encourage you to begin praying right now. Who would God have me to begin to, to invest in and to begin to pray specifically for and to begin to look for opportunities to share with them the good news about who Jesus Christ is? You know, we talk a lot about winning the America for Christ, and we talk a lot about the need for revival in our land. Well, revival doesn't come through mass crusades. Revival doesn't come through political initiative. Revival comes when people who know Jesus Christ share Jesus Christ with those who need to know Jesus Christ. And, uh, and all of us are not gifted to lead hundreds of people to Christ at the same time. Very few of us are gifted to do that. But all of us are empowered by the Holy Spirit and gifted to lead one person to Christ. And so we're going to be asking you to pray about who it is in your life that, that God is leading you to say, you know what, this is somebody that God has laid on my heart to begin to invest in them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, if you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. While you do... I need to make a formal announcement that this coming Wednesday we will have a special called business meeting, an abnormal, uh, not from our normal business meeting, but a special called business meeting in order to adopt our harvest offering goal for our 2019-2020 harvest offering. Um, so Wednesday night we will present that and ask you as a church to affirm that. And so we encourage you to be here Wednesday to do that. We will also, at that time, present to you a request from Amy Breland. Uh, she is requesting interest in uh, acceptance into Level College through the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And so as a church, we need to vote to affirm that as well. And so we will be presenting those two items of business at our special call business meeting Wednesday night and hope that you will be here for that. We're going to talk today about... Uh, the topic of the great spiritual battlefield. One of the things that I enjoy, in addition to preaching the gospel and ministry, is that when I have free time, which isn't very often, uh, I like to sit in, in my back porch and read, and I try to make it a goal about once a year to read one presidential biography. In the last few years, God's really put an interest in my heart in reading about some of the great leaders that we've had in our country, and, and what made them the men that they are. I just have a great interest in that. And so I have begun reading a biography by Ron Chernow on George Washington. I love Revolutionary War history and to read about that. And so I've been reading Chernow's biography on Washington because Washington was one not only the first president of our great nation, but also proved himself to be an effective military commander through the Revolutionary War. This despite the fact that Washington himself had never held a military position in the British Army prior to that. And yet in spite of that, he showed tremendous wisdom throughout the Revolutionary War, leading a very inexperienced uh, ragtag group of colonial troops 
against the most formidable army in the world at that time in the British Army. A couple of things that I read about with George Washington was that early on in the, in the Revolutionary War, Washington successfully led a campaign to take siege of Boston. The, the Redcoats had, had captured Boston, and Washington led his group to, to retake the city and won a, a short victory, but he knew in, in his understanding of the colonies that the British would come back and attack, and their, where their next attack would be would be within the city of New York. Because of the waterway system which led to the city, Washington understood the vast importance of the city of New York, and so he began to set up uh, uh, establishments there to try to counteract the inevitable, inevitable British invasion, which did come. Eventually, the British were able to navigate into a position of stronghold around New York and were about to, to push down and, and defeat the, the colonial troops that were garrisoned there in the city. And yet, in a, in a bold move showing great wisdom, Washington was able, in the cover of one night, to successfully evacuate 9,000 colonial troops and preserve his army. And when the British came in to invade the next day, the colonial troops were not there. He was able to understand the wisdom of giving up one battle to win a greater battle later on down the line. In 1781, after months of seeing successful British campaigns and victories throughout the South, Washington saw a strategic opportunity to lay siege to the British forces which were camped in Yorktown, Virginia, led by the famed British general Cornwallis. He successfully, over a course of about six weeks, defeated the British, and that turned out to be the turning point of the American Revolution and signaled victory for the colonial forces. As I read about George Washington and many other of the men that have led our nation, it is, it is, it is a reminder to me of this truth that all of life is warfare. All of life is warfare. Every single day that you and I live, we are engaged in a daily battlefield of the mind to determine what we will, we will believe and how that will determine our direction in life. We, we are constantly engaged in a battlefield in our, in our lives and in our nation. And every single day we must go out into the world to choose what are we going to believe and how is that going to determine the direction in which we live. Paul understood this fact very well because he often spoke in the imagery of warfare in the New Testament. He used the imagery of soldiers in warfare to help us to understand the critical importance of what it means to be a Christian in this world. And one of those texts is found in our text today in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'd like to read it for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Now I'll explain a little bit about what he's saying there in just a second. Then we start to really focus in on verse 3 when he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. What's going on here? Well, Paul is writing to a specific church in the city of Corinth. What we know about this is that this is the fourth letter that he had to write to the church in Corinth. We call it 2 Corinthians because it's the second letter that we have. But we know that there were at least four correspondences between Paul and the church at Corinth. The other two letters were not inspired scripture. They were not inspired documents of the Holy Spirit. They were just simple correspondences between Paul and the Corinthian church. But Paul is dealing with a church in which he had founded years before, in which he had led many people to Christ and discipled them. But soon after he had left that church, that many people had begun to infiltrate the church to, to teach false doctrines and to attack the Apostle Paul. And so to fully understand what Paul is saying here about the battlefield of the mind, we need to understand what he's actually, who he's actually writing to and what he's actually addressing here because unfortunately we have a lot of Christians and church leaders who have taken verses 3 through 5 and snatched them out of context and prepared a whole lot of Christian advice that may seem helpful but is not always biblically grounded. And so as we said, all throughout the letters of First and Second Corinthians, Paul has to write to the church in Corinth to address false teaching in the church and sinful behavior that existed within the congregation. We actually looked at 1 Corinthians last week when we were looking at the Lord's Supper, and I told you that in the church at that time, just in the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's having to address factions and divisions about who the proper church leader to follow was. He was having to address an issue of unresolved sexual sin within the church. He was having to address disunity in the church as believers who had conflicts with one another couldn't settle their conflicts in the love of Christ. And so they were going to secular courts in order to settle conflicts. He was having to address people who, who believed that because they possessed certain ecstatic, charismatic gifts that they were somehow more spiritual than other people that didn't exercise those gifts. And all of those those issues that he was having to deal with in the church came from the fact that many people in the church had gotten sidetracked from the gospel and the word of God into other issues and speculations and ideologies because of the influence of false teachers. And so as Paul is writing that letter to the church at Corinth, the response inside the church from some of those that they're not really identified by name in the text, but biblical scholars have labeled them as the super apostles. They appeared to be a group of teachers who came into the church at Corinth who claimed to have a certain sense of apostolic authority. And they were obviously very influential in the way that they taught and the, way, and the things that they taught. Because one of the things that they accused Paul of was they said, Paul's not really an apostle because he's not very eloquent in the things that he says. Basically, what they were accusing Paul of is they were saying, Paul, he doesn't speak very well. He doesn't have this sense of authority when he speaks. He, he was rather timid. We, we know that Paul probably physically had some physical ailments that, that made him to be not really the most attractive guy in the world. And when he spoke, 
He didn't really speak with a certain sense of authority. And basically they were saying Paul doesn't have eloquence. He, he doesn't have this, this authority. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and says, When I came to you, I didn't come to you in eloquence of speech, but I came to preach Christ and Christ crucified and that alone. Paul said, I didn't come to try to give you some, some eloquent dialogue about religious philosophy. I came to preach the gospel. So Paul's continually defending himself, and chapter 10 begins three chapters in which he is basically addressing these false teachers, these super apostles, directly. In chapter 11, he's going to talk about some of the sufferings that he had to endure for the gospel, and basically was saying, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. My authority is grounded in the stones that have pelted me. My authority is grounded in the lashes that I have taken for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, as he's defending this, you see in verses 1 and 2, he says he's going to come and visit them soon, and he's addressing this, 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 uh, this attack that has been placed on him, which is Paul is very bold when he writes letters to you, but he's very weak and meek when he's with you in person. That's why he says that. I, Paul, who am meek when face to face, but bold when writing to you. So Paul is addressing these false teachers in the church. And why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it because false teaching and unsound doctrine always leads not only to doctrinal confusion, but inevitably leads to sin in our lives and in the church. We behave as a byproduct of what we believe internally. And so if we believe the wrong things then it evidences itself in our personal lives and it evidences itself in the church with false actions or sinful beliefs and attitudes. And so Paul reminds the believers in the church at Corinth that they need to engage in a battle for the truth and for sound doctrine in both the church and in their daily lives. When Paul writes these letters, uh, these words in verses 3 through 5 about waging war and that the weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds, he's talking about a spiritual battlefield that you and I are engaged in as believers every single day. And so I want us to talk real quickly this morning about how do we win this spiritual war? How do we win in this great spiritual battlefield? Well, Paul talks about that, and the first thing that he tells us is that we need to understand the critical importance over the spiritual control of your mind. The first thing we need to do if we're going to engage in this warfare, and if we're going to win this spiritual war, is we need to understand the critical importance over the spiritual control of your mind. Look again at verses 3 through 5. Paul says, though we walk in the flesh, which was a it was an accusation against Paul that Paul was basically just a, a man who was walking in the flesh. He wasn't really a spiritually led man. And Paul acknowledges, he says, yes, we walk in the flesh. I'm a fleshly person. I'm a person who's prone to sin. And though we walk in the flesh in this world, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And so we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The scriptures make it clear in many places that there is a great cosmic, eternal, and spiritual warfare that is taking place around us at all times. Paul stated to the church in Ephesus, 
in Ephesians chapter 6 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There is a great spiritual battle that's been taking place throughout eternity that goes on around us at all times. And because of that truth, we should, according to Paul, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul tells us that we are to take up the armor that God has provided for us as Christians. And that armor involves many things such as the breastplate of Christ's righteousness which covers us and the belt of truth which is God's word that, that, that girds us. But in that list of all of those, those items of the, of the armor of God, there's one that he calls the helmet of salvation. What's the purpose of a helmet in battle? The purpose of the helmet is to protect your head. Because as your head goes, pretty much goes the rest of your body, right? And what, he needs to do, what he's saying to us is that we need to protect our head. We not only need to protect our head, we need to protect what's in our head. And what's in our head is our what? Is our mind. We need to protect our mind with the helmet of salvation. We need to guard our minds with spiritual truth. And again, here in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us and the believers in Corinth that we are engaged in a war, but he reminds us that this war is not a physical skirmish according to the flesh, but it is a spiritual war. Specifically, he says, it is a war that is engaged in the arena of arguments and opinions. Do you see that? He says, we, we destroy arguments and we destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. This is a warfare of ideas and governing philosophies and truths. So as Christians, we are continu continually engaging in a battle over truth. What is true, what is right, and how that governs our lives. The weapons we use to engage in this everyday war are not physical weapons. They do not involve physical forces in which we use might and power and political influence to take physical territory. The weapons that we use are spiritual weapons. And they are designed to destroy spiritual strongholds in our lives. We're going to talk about a stronghold in just a second. I want us to understand that the New Testament continually, the Bible is continu continually reminding us of the power of our minds and our hearts to control our spiritual decisions. Did you know that every single decision that you make comes from what you believe? Turn to Proverbs chapter 4 for a second if you would. I didn't put these scriptures in your, in your text and so I want you to turn there. Proverbs chapter 4. One of the most important Proverbs from Solomon. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. I would encourage you to commit this verse to memory. It's one of the most important scripture memory verses you can ever remember. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Your text may say, guard your heart. Keep your heart, guard your heart, protect whatever is in your heart because what's in your heart controls our lives and determines our directions and our decisions. 
And the proverb writer continues in verses 25 through 27 when he says, not only do we keep our heart with all vigilance, but he says in verse 25, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't just walk aimlessly through life believing everything that everybody tells you. Don't just say, well, I'm just going to see what comes up this day. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about the decisions that you are making. Think about the influence that is around you. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, but turn your foot away from evil. He's talking to us about the critical importance of our heart. Colossians chapter 1, Paul reminds us that the unregenerate mind, the person who is not saved, has a mind that hasn't been regenerated by the Spirit. And therefore, the unregenerate mind is hostile towards God. In Colossians chapter 1, he says of us, he says, You who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. What does he mean by that? Paul means that because our fallen sinful minds are hostile towards God and the things of God, our minds choose to engage in evil. And because our minds choose to do that, our behavior follows that. Why do people who don't know God do the things they do? It's because their minds are hostile to the things of God. They're in opposition to Him. Again, the critical importance of our mind. 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural person, the person who operates without the Spirit of God, cannot discern spiritual truth because discernment comes from the mind. And Paul is telling us that people without Christ do not understand the things of God and consider God's ways foolish because they can't comprehend it. The things of God don't come naturally to the lost person. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 Paul says to the church, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The Gentiles are the people without God. You must no longer walk as lost people do in the futility of their minds. The scriptures continually attest to the power of our minds and our hearts to control our spiritual decisions. And the great spiritual battlefield in our culture isn't taking place in the cultural wars between Christians and society. The great spiritual battlefield isn't taking place in foreign countries that outlaw Christianity. The greatest spiritual battlefield is taking place every day in your life, in your mind. And I put it in your notes here. Satan's greatest strategy in your life is not to change the way that you behave, but to change the way that you think. Satan's greatest strategy in your life is not to change your behavior. It's not to get you to do wrong things. His greatest strategy in your life is to get you to think incorrectly. Johnny Hunt wrote in a book called Demolishing Strongholds, which is at the bottom of your your notes as a recommended resource. Johnny Hunt was quoting Adrian Rogers, and he said one time Adrian Rogers taught him, the devil would rather to get you to think wrong than to do wrong. Why? Because according to Dr. Rogers, if you do wrong, you might choose to get right or to change your behavior. But if you think wrong, you won't see anything wrong that needs to be set right. There's a lot of wisdom to that. The devil would rather get you to think wrong and to think improperly 
than to do wrong because wrong belief will always lead to wrong behavior. I put this in your notes. When we believe lies, believing lies leads to false beliefs, false attitudes, and sinful actions. When we believe spiritual lies, they not only lead to false personal beliefs about who God is and what God requires of us, but they lead to false attitudes and inevitably to sinful actions. In Romans chapter 1, when Paul is describing the downfall of mankind, he says the first thing that God gave them over to when they refused to acknowledge Him and give glory to Him is He gave them over to a reprobate mind. He gave them over to the natural reprobation that comes about when a person lives without the knowledge of God. And from there came all of the reprobate actions. Believing lies leads to false beliefs, false attitudes, and sinful actions. And when we sow false beliefs and sinful actions, those eventually lead to spiritual strongholds in our lives. So if you believe something that isn't true about God, about what God says about the world, about what God says about you, about what God requires of you, if you believe incorrectly about that, you will operate and make decisions on the basis of that, which eventually will lead to sinful actions and habits, and eventually enough sinful actions and habits will develop a spiritual stronghold in your life. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a belief, an action, or a habit in our lives that opposes the work of God and belief in the truth of God. That's what a stronghold is. When you study military campaigns, you will see that whenever great military campaigns have to take place, usually the opposition has set up a stronghold, a fortress somewhere that they're trying to defend. And in order to take that territory, you have to destroy that stronghold. And what happens in our lives is the devil, because he, he changes the way that we think about God, he tries to get us to believe philosophies and truths and thoughts that the world tells us that are not in alignment with God's Word. Those begin to develop sinful habits in our lives. We, we depart from God's Word in areas of our life. And if, as we live in that sin long enough, it sets up a stronghold. We begin to love our sin more than we love the things of God. And it creates a barrier between us and God so that we feel like our prayers are ineffective. We feel like our walk is ineffective. We feel like going to church doesn't work because these strongholds have been developed in our life because we've chosen to believe something that's not true about us or true about God. So we need to understand the critical importance of the spiritual battle over the control of our minds. The mind is a spiritual muscle which must be continually exercised properly. It must be continually fed a diet of spiritual truth because if it doesn't, it will atrophy away from God's truth and eventually believe lies. lies. And this is why it's critically important that we spend time every day in God's Word. So not only if we're going to win the spiritual war do we need to understand the critical importance of our mind, but we need to also trust in the weapons of our spiritual victory. We need to trust in the weapons of our spiritual victory. Paul talks about weaponizing here. He says the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power. These are spiritual weapons. These are, these are divine weapons that have power to destroy the strongholds that, they, that the opposition sets up in our lives. And how do we do this? We destroy arguments 
And we destroy opinions that are raised up, lofty opinions that are raised up against knowing God. And we take every thought captive so that we obey Christ. Paul encourages us here by letting us know that victory in this spiritual battle is attainable. He says we destroy strongholds, we destroy arguments, we take thoughts captives. Look at that language. This is not the language of a defeated army. This is the language of a victorious army. He says to us, church, you need to understand that you have the spiritual power according to the truth of God's word to destroy these arguments and destroy these strongholds and take captive these thoughts in your life. Remember again in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul tells us that we're in a spiritual warfare. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We're not strong in ourselves. We're not strong in our wisdom. We're not strong in our knowledge. We're strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And we put on the armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And every day you and I go out into a battlefield of belief And if we don't take up the armor of God that morning, we are going out defenseless. If we aren't surrounded by the breastplate of of Christ's righteousness over us and guarding our minds with the helmet of salvation and girding our, our loins with the belt of truth, then we are going out defenseless. God has outfitted us as warriors in a spiritual battle and we are to take up this armor every single day. We are not to go out into a fallen world unprepared and without the armor that God has given us and without the weapons that He has given us to be victorious. I put down some of the weapons that God has given us in your notes. God's given us primarily three weapons to help us in our Christian walk. The first of those is the authority of the Word of God. The authority of the Word of God. Because this is a battle over worldly arguments and opinions, we must be armed with spiritual truth. And we have spiritual truth in the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of the living God and it carries with it the authority of God Himself. Through the Bible you have a large storehouse of spiritual truth to draw from. And for this reason, you and I need to commit to spending personal time in God's Word every day so that our minds can be transformed by truth. You know, one of Satan's greatest, most effective weapons is to get you to think that the Bible is okay for going to church and listening to the pastor preach, but it really doesn't have anything for me Monday through Saturday. And so one of the greatest things that he does is he just sows distractions and excuses to keep you away from spending time in God's Word. You know, I'm really tired this morning. I think I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to do a quiet time. You know, I really need to get to the office early this morning. I got some emails that I need to send. You know, I really got a lot to do this today, and I'll read my Bible later on. And he's always giving us things in our life to, to, that, that seem to be urgent, but take us away from the priority of God's Word in our life. Think about the thousands of messages that bombard you every single day. From the day you wake up, and to, from the point you wake up until the time you put your head on the pillow at night, how many messages do you receive from the radio, from the internet, from the phone? How do you sort through all those messages to know what's true, to know what you should be believing and what you should be doing? You do so by submitting every single one of those messages to the authority of a God who is greater than you and to the authority of His Word. You need to trust in the authority of the Word of God. Not only do we have the authority of the Word of God, but we have the power of the gospel in our lives. 
We have the power of the gospel. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God into salvation for everyone who believes. Do you believe that, church? The gospel is the power of God to salvation for anyone who will believe it. The gospel saves us every single day. As we lean into its truth, it releases its power into our lives. The gospel tells us this. You cannot be what God has called you and designed you to be, but God has sent one to you who can, and through His righteousness, you can be all that God desires you to be. The gospel says on your own, you can't destroy lofty opinions And you can't destroy arguments. But through Christ and through the power of the gospel in you, you can be everything that God has called you to be. And this is why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We remind ourselves that we cannot do on our own strength what God does for us in Christ Jesus. We have the authority of the word of God and we have the power of the gospel that tells us that we are being changed into the image of Christ. But not only that, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead resides inside of you. God has not only given us spiritual truth in His Word and redeemed us by the Gospel, but He's placed His Spirit inside of us to guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of righteousness. He reminds us of what God has said in His Word. He illuminates spiritual truth to us. He helps us to see through the lies of this world, and He does so by continually taking us back to the holy inspired scriptures to see what God has said about us. So how do we fight? Paul tells us we fight by destroying false arguments and ideologies that are opposed to the gospel. John MacArthur says that these are unbiblical systems of thought that are exalted in our world as truth. The word arguments is the word logismos and refers to any human or demonic thoughts, opinions, reasonings, philosophies, and theories which are opposed to the true knowledge of God. And the reality is that we live in a fallen, sinful, broken world in which we encounter hundreds of ungodly philosophies and and, and reasonings and opinions and theories every single day. How do we destroy them? We destroy them by saturating our minds with God's truth. We destroy those worldly opinions that creep into our minds that try to define us by other ways contrary to the gospel. We destroy arguments and opinions that take away the knowledge of God from our minds. But not only that, the Bible says that we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This shows us that the objective of our spiritual warfare is to change our thinking. That we need to capture thoughts that do not align with the truth of God's Word and make our thought life submissive to the Word of God. Whenever we have thoughts that creep into our mind that do not align with what God says about us or what God's Word says God requires of us, we capture that thought and we say, I'm not going to believe that lie because God's Word says this about me. Now, we need to be careful here because some in the Christian movement have aligned themselves with what is called word of faith theology. And they have perverted texts like this to mean that somehow you and I can change our realities in life by changing our thoughts and changing the words that we say. Some have said that our thoughts create life, that our words create life. 
That, that because we're made in the image of God and God spoke life into existence, that you and I can speak life into existence, but we can't because we are not deity. But they will say to you that you can speak your existence by the words that you say, and so therefore, some of them with big big sanctuaries and fancy suits and bright smiles on their faces say, you look in the mirror and you say, I am thin. I've tried that before. It doesn't work. (laughs) I am prosperous. I am healthy. And they say that because you speak these words into existence, you will change your situation. That is not what Paul is saying here when he's talking about capturing thoughts. Taking our thoughts captive means that we do not allow ourselves to believe something that is contrary to what the gospel and God's word says about us. That when we receive these thoughts and messages, we say, what has God said about me? And when you go to the Bible, you will see that in Christ you are beloved. You may have thoughts that come into your mind that says, nobody loves me. I remember going through life as a teenage boy thinking I was totally irrelevant and that nobody other than my mama who's here with me today, that nobody other than my mama really loved me in life. And what I found in Christ is that I am not only loved, I am beloved. I am deeply loved. In Christ, you are accepted. In Christ, you are whole. In Christ, you have a purpose. In Christ, you are forgiven. In Christ, you have objective, knowable truth. These are the thoughts that we ground ourselves in. And so we must understand the importance in this war, in this battle for our thinking, that we must fight with the weapons of our spiritual victory. But finally, we must do a third thing, and that is we must prepare a battle plan for daily engagement. We can know all about where the battle is fought, and we can know that we have the weapons that can win, but we have to have a battle plan to engage in the war. In verses 5 and 6, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We need a battle plan. So let me give you a quick battle plan. Let me give you some actionable steps for engaging in this warfare. Step number one, don't believe everything that you think. Don't believe everything that you think. The prophet Jeremiah made an interesting statement in Jeremiah chapter 17, 9, when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Jeremiah is saying that our hearts have a spiritual illness and that our minds can deceive us and deceive us about our goodness and deceive us about our badness. We cannot trust our heart. We cannot trust our minds. We cannot believe everything that we think. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For what comes out of the heart are evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Don't believe everything that you think. Number two, guard your mental intake. Guard your mental intake. Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is Paul telling us in Philippians chapter 4? He's saying you need to do an inventory of your thought life. And you need to guard what you place in your mind. 
And you only need to place things in your mind that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. Just like we need to monitor what we eat for our physical health, we need to monitor what we take into our minds. And we need to be careful what voices we listen to. And we need to be careful what, con- what, what we content we digest for entertainment. Because many times as followers of Jesus Christ, we can spend much more time listening to voices in our, in our culture that have nothing to do with the gospel and nothing to do with the things of God and finding ourselves being entertained by the very things that the Bible calls sin. We need to guard our mental intake. Number three, we need to test everything against the gospel. We need to test everything in life against the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. He says the gospel continues to work into our life to bring salvation. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. We need to take every thought, every ideology, every, everything that comes across the, the, the content of our televisions, every news story that we get, every little notification that pops up on our smartphones. We need to take every single one of those things back to the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ and test everything according to that because this is objective, knowable, verifiable truth. And if it doesn't line up with this, it's not worth believing. Number four, We need to replace false and unhealthy ideas with spiritual truths. Just like in your physical diet, you may have to take out some physical things, some things that are not healthy for you in order to intake healthy things. You need to do the same thing spiritually. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, I testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous, have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true holiness and righteousness. What is he saying? He's saying we need to replace false and healthy ideas with spiritual truth in our lives. And then finally, we need to commit to a lifetime of learning as the people of God. We need to commit to a lifetime of learning. Proverbs 18.15 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. You know, when we talk about creating a a lifetime of learning or committing to a lifetime of learning, many of us say, you know what, I haven't been to school since since I was 18 years old or since I was 20 years old. But the reality of it is, is is that leaders are learners. And that we need to commit into our life to, to be people who are constantly learning new things. Learning new things about Christ, learning new things about God's Word, learning new things about what God would have for us. And so we need to commit to reading the Bible. We need to commit to reading good books. We need to commit to learning new truths every day. Because the only way that we can replace these false ideologies with spiritual truth is to commit our lives to continually advancing our minds, to renewing our minds, as Romans chapter 12 says, with the things of God.
So let's go out and engage in this great spiritual battle that we have. And let's know that as we do, we do not go out unarmed. We do not go out as, a, as an army that is facing defeat. We do not go out as an army that is on its last legs. We go out as a victorious army under the banner of Jesus Christ, wearing the blessed breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation and armed with the sword of the Spirit, and that we have the power to destroy the arguments and opinions that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God in our lives. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just a moment, we're going to have just a, an invitation time, a time to respond to the gospel. And maybe this morning you've come to understand your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've come to understand that you've allowed way too many false ideologies to define you in life. That you, your, your life doesn't seem to work because you believe the wrong thing about who God is and who Jesus is. Maybe today you want to surrender your heart and life to Christ and trust Him as Lord and Savior. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you need to come because God's leading you to join Central Park Baptist Church or God's moving in some other area of your life and you'd like us to pray for you. In just a moment as we sing this song of invitation, we offer you the opportunity to respond to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you today. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning you would speak into our hearts and lives and give us actionable steps as to how we can respond today in a way that most glorifies you. So God, call the sinner to repent. Call the saved to rejoice and to walk in victory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Sing this song and respond as the Lord leads you.